Pod Clubhouse and decorating the set from Hollywood to your home with Beth Kushnick are pleased to announce our Frontline Workers Hero Appreciation Contest. Running from now until May 19th, the rules for the contest are simple. We want you to nominate the Frontline Worker Hero in your life and tell us why. That's it. That's all you have to do. The Frontline Worker Chosen will win a design consultation with interior designer to the stars and set decorator, Beth Kushnick. As well as a gift certificate sponsored by Raymore Flanagan to help put your design ideas into action. To nominate your Frontline Worker Hero, just head to podclubhouse.com and fill out the official contest form. See the post at Pod Clubhouse for all of the official rules and contest information. No purchase or payment is necessary to enter. Void where prohibited by law. Pod Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you. Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 20 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're talking about that 1964 Christmas TV special, Claymation and a Magic Classic. Rudolph. (laughs) The Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know this story, Caroline. This is the story of an abusive father, a grumpy old man, bullying reindeer, some misfit toys, a cute snowman who has a redemption arc, and a homeless Yukon guy who is the only redeemable character in the story. And a bumble monster. But, you know, it's a story that teaches you you're only useful if you have something that other people want. And otherwise, <laughs> you'll be cast off to the island of misfit toys. Wow, I'm really feeling like I already have a good idea of those Jingle Bell ratings coming down the pike here. <laughs> I, I mean, I, this is this is the problem with watching stuff that you used to really like as a child. Because, you know, you fast forward 35 years and it does doesn't hit you quite the same way. No, it's like going back to your elementary school and all the desks are like up to your knee and you're like, this is all weird. Everything's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Wait, when did everything get so small? When did when did the message I mean, smell weird? Uh, the messages in this movie, Caroline, are so messed up. Well, let's get in this. I really wanted to just let's try to just dissect it and try to figure out what went awry. Well, let me give you a little bit of background on this, though, because we have done movies and TV specials that have been based on stories like uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. We have done uh, several movies at this point that were just based on songs like Santa Claus is Coming to Town and White Christmas. This is the first one that we've done that is a TV special based on a song, which is based on a poem. Okay. And all of them were named Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Johnny Marks wrote the song based on a poem written by his brother-in-law, Robert Louis May, who had written a story commissioned by Montgomery Ward, the, the department store, in 1939. Super weird. Super, super weird. Well, consumerism. You know, they probably sure. wanted some cute reindeer thing. Okay. So, so Robert May writes a story in 1939. Montgomery Ward publishes it somewhere in like a in like a flyer probably in their catalog that they sent everyone because this is the age of catalogs and department store catalogs rankin and bass approach romeo muller and larry romer to rankin and bass guys this is actually the second project that they've worked on for rankin and bass uh both in 1964 they both were the writer and director of the return to oz uh they say give us a story based on this they can't find May's written book story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All they have accessible to them is the Johnny Mark song. And so they write this entire special and fill in a bunch of gaps based on what they think. You know, the song is what, <laughs> two minutes long? And this is a 51-minute special. So they add in a bunch of stuff that they were like, this probably happens in the story. It doesn't. Right. This is, this is maybe where we're finding the first problem here. 
there's no moon racer in, right. <laughs> there's no moon racer in moon the racer. uh in, in the story but, but they <laughs> for whatever reason they couldn't get a hold of this 1939 story by robert may uh and that is how we get this it airs on the nbc on december 6 1964 it's a big hit it is aired every year since then it's been on uh, cbs since 1972 it's the longest continuously running christmas special that exists because when we did charlie brown you'll recall charlie brown is the second longest running christmas special only ebbed out by a year earlier rudolph the red-nosed reindeer the rankin bass uh, rankin bass classic well what's your history with this movie have you watched it every year is this something you sit down with your your family and watch if you had asked me before watching this again and and getting ready for this podcast i would have told you this was my second favorite christmas special there is because I remembered so much of it. I like I, I like the glowing nose. I remember like the antics. I remember them fondly, like them putting like a little plug and dirt on his nose and it popping off because it just gets so red. Turns out he's just sexually excited. That's weird. Yeah. It's weird, Rudolph. <laughs> uh, good Lord. Leave Clarice alone, my man. That is a bit much. <laughs> it's a lot, Caroline. This movie, this, this TV special was a lot. Well, I have a really similar story for you because for me, same. I totally, it was familiar, comforting, thought I was going to sit down, love it, watched it all the years I can remember every year. And when I sat down and watched it this time, I was like, wait, what is this show? What is happening right now? And like, wait, what parts of the plot were like, wait, they just like left there? Like, I don't understand what happened. Very disorienting for me because the memories that I have are same like you, like very excited, very happy, very good. And then I was losing a lot of my joy in watching this. I think my issue actually may be with Romeo Muller, because this is actually the second movie we've covered that was written by him. The other one was 1970s Santa Claus is coming, not coming, coming with an apostrophe <laughs> to town, which we had a lot of problems with. And again, was another one of those specials that I swore I had a lot of fond memories of, but overall really didn't like at all. This movie is very similar. I mean, this movie comes uh, six years before that. The, like I said, this is his only. This is his second out, uh, outing for Rankin Bass. I think it may just be him. I, I think he's just a, a kind of a giant weirdo when it comes to claymation and children's stories. I he's don't know. a little twisted. I think his sense a of storytelling twisted. Is, is, is definitely more odd than the rest of ours, I think. So let's get into our characters and casting. Uh, for sure. I, I think you have to start with Burl Ives, right? Uh, he's he's the quintessential Sam the Snowman. He's the he's the storyteller of this story. Watching this again, did you get all the good feels for Burl Ives and Sam the Snowman? I did. His voice is so familiar and so comforting to me that I was like, "Oh, Sam!" I was very happy to see him. That is not where I had a problem with the story. Not at all. And you know what? I love Elf so much. And so much of Elf, especially the beginning of Elf, is lifted from from Rudolph. But they really took all the good parts. Maybe that's <laughs> why I think that I like this movie as much, because I know Elf so well. And so I have melded in my mind that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special is just the first 20 minutes of Elf. You know, all the claymation <laughs> right. stuff that's in Elf and stuff. And so, you know, they've got Leon, uh, the snowman in uh, in Elf. And that's obviously a play on the Sam character here. I love the Burl lives. I love I love the, the table setting he does, the singing. It, very enjoyable. I was like, oh, good. This is exactly what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I was having no problems when we were just talking to Sam. The freakish castle that gets introduced that we see the origin story of in Santa Claus is Coming to Town is here. Yeah. I mean, it's it, very, very kind of world building. That, that Romeo Muller is del, uh, is doing in these movies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but again, Mike, isn't that puzzling that you and I have seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer every year for probably, let's say we missed a couple years in adulthood. So let's say solidly 20, 25 years we saw it, I would right? say I've seen the special 25 times. How come neither of us... When we were watching Santa Claus is Coming to Town, we were like, what? A castle? I mean, this would have been probably one of the first times we ever saw Santa's quote unquote workshop and like where he lived in the North Pole. Yet neither of us walk away with the idea that there's a castle up there. No. 
No, if you ask me, if you ask me right now, I would not say Santa lives in a gosh darn castle. But the answer he is it's like, pink with flags. It's it, it's a castle pulled right out of Super Mario Brothers. I'm expecting someone to tell me the princess is not here. Oh my that gosh. the princess is in another castle. It's pulled right. I mean, blows my mind. Very odd. Blows my mind. This is twice now we've seen Santa lives like an emperor in a castle. And yet neither time did it sink in on either of us. Nor the idea that Santa is super skinny. He was super skinny in in Santa Claus is Coming to Town. He is really skinny here until the night before. And Mrs. Claus fattens him up like a goose. He he needs a sandwich. Let's talk about his personality in this one. Because old Stan Francis, a Santa Claus, and he also played King Moonracer. He was really, really stern and grumpy and... Dismissive. Super tired of everyone. Like, like he was mad that the, the elves are having like their sing-along for him, their little like recital. I mean, it was horrible. And the, with the one point when he like actually puts his hand on his forehead and he's like, <sighs> like, oh, yeah. I have never a day in my life thought of Santa Claus as acting like that. Again, we've seen this movie probably 25 times annually. What in the world? Again, no time yeah. are we like, you know, sometimes Santa's kind of grumpy. We never say no. that. Why hasn't no. this sunk in? When Santa, when Santa is sitting in his chair in his throne in his castle, and he's being made to listen to the choir, him flopping around and flailing around <laughs> as if he's being electrocuted is so disturbing. I gotta go see the reindeer for the you know the babies. <laughs> I gotta go listen to the choir. Like you're Santa Claus, man. You yeah. you work one night a year. You have you have the elves that do all of these work for you. Your job is to eat a sandwich and be jolly. Dude, have some perspective, my man. You know, I have a story. Oh, and okay. here's my here's my Santa theory. Okay. I don't know if I've told you this. I, I th- I, I'm sure I've told you this off mic, but I'm gonna say it now on mic. Okay. You, you know Al Roker. I uh, do. Fun weatherman. Uh, weatherman. I always right? say weatherman. Uh, <laughs> he's off the Weatherman clan. He's a you know right. NBC Today Show weatherman. Right. He used to be quite large, mm-hmm. and and had a very jolly personality. Everyone loved Al. Right. Yeah. Al was like a favorite. He was like the fun guy. He was always the Thanksgiving Day parade. He was like the guy. mascot of the Today yeah. Show. Yeah, he was like yeah, yeah, like the Pillsbury Doughboy. You poke him, you poke him in the stomach, and he giggles like you very happy, jolly kind of. Al Rooker lost a significant amount of weight. I don't know mm. whether through dieting or exercise. No, or he, had surgery. Surgery. he had the I'm surgery. I'm sure he had the surgery. Yeah, yeah. he has the yeah because it was a super fast weight loss. I ran into Al Rooker. Now I'm one of those people who I lived in New York City for a lot of my life. I've walked the streets of Manhattan a lot of my life. I never see famous people. I, I'm sure I'm passing them, and I'm just like I have like identity blindness. You know, like where you don't recognize faces. I came shoulder to shoulder with Al Rooker on the street one day and he had the nastiest grimace upon his face as if someone had just smothered uh, uh, all of his kittens made him watch and then threw his coffee on his head he looked so angry oh my gosh and 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 i've seen him i've seen him twice now up close since he lost the weight when he lost the weight, lost his good humor. I think that's Santa's problem. I think he's just so, I think he's hungry. It's the Snickers commercial. I believe the Snickers commercial, the idea that, you know, you're not yourself when you're hungry, mm-hmm. I think is what Santa's problem is. I think it's what Al Roker's problem is. Get these guys a Snickers bar. They're going to be, they're going to be Betty White. I totally could go with this hangry idea, except for that he's not being deprived of food. Santa Claus is being offered food like constantly. So, like, what's his deal? He's got no jolliness, though. They, they, he needs a bell. He needs a bowl. He needs a belly full of jelly. A bowl full of jelly. Bowl full of jelly. Yeah, he needs to shake his belly like a bowl full of jelly, and he's being denied that for whatever reason. And maybe he's got colitis. I don't know what the oh, issue gosh. is. Oh gosh! But he he can't gain weight, and it's making him grumpy. And that's what Al is. Al just wants to have a snack. Oh my! And gosh. I think that's what Santa wants too. I think that's what the issue is. Well, this is a shockingly disappointing Santa, and Mrs. Claus, I was like, if this is supposed to be Jessica, if we're following our Santa Claus is coming to town, I'm like, mm-hmm. where are you, Jessica girl? Like, what happened to you? And she is just nowhere to be found. She's still got some eyelashes, but she's just, she's got no personality. She's not even there. Although they did give her a throne chair, which I found delightful. Yes, I, I do like, I like the idea that he is an emperor cracking the whip. 
on his minions. You do not like that idea. I do not like that. I, I'm saying I like the idea. But that's what it is. Yeah, he's got, there's like, my queen's throne remains mm-hmm. empty as she prepares me vegetable snacks crudite for my ingestion and she has such like an old woman vibe about her it's like a classic like she's a grandma to like a grown man kind of thing you ever you know stories that do that where yeah. both people are old but they make the woman sound super old yeah where and, and the guy is just kind of grumpy he's still like a like a buck in some in some on some level but she's like way retired yeah he's like thinking of like getting his ferrari and like she's like over the hill kind of thing uh, very weird very very weird but we have to get to we have to get to donner oh donner we're going i thought you were gonna say let's go to the main player here no, 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 because Donner is, I think, where all of this really stems from. Okay. And and maybe it's, uh, you know, it rolls downhill situation. Well, let's talk about this because Donner is a dad and you're a dad. And, you know, I think a lot of the issues that come from Donner is really coming from this prideful place of wanting his son to be a certain way. What do you think about that? Is that a fair angle to take with him? I, I think it's a very antiquated angle. It would break my heart if I ever treated my son this way if i ever knew someone who treated their kid this way i would be angry on that kid's behalf the idea of being disappointed in who your child is the idea of being disappointed in your child i have a problem with but the idea of being disappointed in your child because of some kind of perceived disability or some kind of difference or some kind of abnormality that doesn't fit with your conceived notion of what they should be pisses me off rudolph is a strong little deer he's a beast deer he's the best flyer in his class he's got haunches bigger than fireballs he could wreck fireball in a fight he's got the best looking antlers of all the young deer so he's got a red nose who gives a flying fig my lord man be so happy this guy is gonna be pulling a sled he's a beast that you've given birth to donner but that's not good enough for you man that's not good enough for you I, oh, it drives me crazy. I dislike Donner more than any other, more than Grumpy Santa. Donner really was on my my naughty list in this movie. Really, really viscerally did not like that character and the behavior towards his kid. Yeah, I and, and I didn't appreciate the fact that Mrs. Donner was just a silent party watching on to this abuse and not in any way. Yeah, guilty by omission and compliance. Yeah, oof. Not, just doesn't say anything. And not, however, someone I did. That kid really, needed you, man. That kid needed you. And you weren't there for him. You forced him to run off. It's a bad scene. <laughs> I mean, again, it puts the reindeer in general from this magical creature that we have learned about in Santa Claus is coming to town. And we learned about in Prancer. And mm-hmm. now we have these characters who are competitive and really aggressive yeah. and just like nasty to each other, which I'm like, what is this again? Who who are these characters? Yeah, Santa and the elder deer are fostering the worst kind of toxic masculinity environment you can possibly have. I played football in high school. This is exactly what being on the football team was like. This entire atmosphere. And I played football for one year and one year only. And I was like, nah, peace, peace, y'all. I'm out. It was so damaging to your self-esteem and and to the idea of, like, it's okay to be whoever you are and just trying to be the best person you could be. It's so bad. And I get 1964 is not 2021 and men were supposed to be men and all of that and that's clearly coming through here women have their role and men should be men you know little clarice deer is not allowed to play in the reindeer games like she's being ostracized no one's asking her if she wants to pull a sled because that's just not the role that a female deer is going to do give me charlie 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 brown is aged well the message of charlie brown is still resonant today this isn't about charlie brown so let's get into our side characters here please uh, what do you think about Hermie? Hermie is the kind of the, like just the other side of the Rudolph coin. Someone who's trying to be who he wants to be and is being told, no, that's you're you're acting out of your station. Hermie is confusing to me because I don't understand what dentistry represents to the elf world. All I can figure out is that toys are fun and going to the dentist is scary or boring yeah. or something the opposite. So they had to try to think of like, what would kids be afraid of? Or what would they think is like a terrible job Lame. to have? Lame. Sure. And dentist seems like, okay, all right, that makes sense. But the way they use Hermie in this, the way that he ends up dealing with the bumble, I was floored. 
I did not approve. That they make him forcibly remove Bumble's teeth in a terrifying sequence. Really just reinforcing the worst possible things you could think about the dentist. And basically deforming the Bumble to not be able to protect himself against anything as a like a wild animal. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's declaw all of our animals and then release them into the wild. It's all fantastic, of his guys. teeth. Like, all of his teeth. I was like... Oh, my gosh. I remember when we were watching this and you were saying, you know what? Maybe he's so angry because he has a toothache. Maybe we're forgetting this. And so that's what we thought. That's what was happening. Right. Hermie was going to fix him. Right. Like the like the Aesop fable. Right. The the lion and the mouse. Right. The lion that just it turns out he's got like a splinter in his paw and the mouse yes, takes thorn. it out and their friend, a thorn. Right. Yes. I thought that was where we were going. I thought we were getting all Aesop in here and we did not. <laughs> we did not. I mean, Hermie literally tore all his teeth out. I mean, these I, are war crimes. What Hermie uh, does to Bumble would get him, him. In, it would get him to Geneva for war crimes. Oh, my God. But Hermie, though, a victim of society, though, if he had just been allowed to practice dentistry at, at the castle, he wouldn't have left. If Rudolph had been accepted, he wouldn't have left. They are just victims of their upbringing and their environments. Okay, someone who I really loved, though, was Yukon Cornelius. He was I the thought best. I loved him. He is fantastic. I loved how he came in, was accepting of everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. could hop on the sleigh. I totally enjoyed how he had such a crazy mix of dogs as his, like, little sled team. And they were hilarious. And totally accepted them. Yes. Yes. And it was completely okay. Little ones, big ones, everything was fine. And he asked no questions. He was like, y'all don't like what's going on in your life? You could come along with me. And not only that, but he never had a sinister moment where he turned in the camera and was like, and all like profit off of all your backs. He was like, and we'll all be rich. I was like, all right, Yukon, you are my man. Yeah, whether you're looking for silver or gold or peppermint, uh, Cornel, uh, Yukon's, uh, his goals are disjointed at best, uh, that, which is just <laughs> right. some, I think, some storytelling problems, but not Yukon's problems. Yukon is just looking to make it, he's just looking to spread it around. He's got a good heart. Uh, so the sled, just just in case you guys haven't rewatched it, his sled is made up of a Cocker Spaniel, a Poodle, a St. Bernard, a Collie, and a Dachshund, or a hot dog dog. Uh, yeah, crazy mix, and he just accepts them all. Yeah. And sometimes he lets them all hop on the sled and he just yes! like pulls it, which again, yes! I think is like so sweet and like selfless. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the way he has the sled arranged in a real world setting, they would just go around in a circle because he's got all of the <laughs> semi big dogs on one side. Right. They would just pull the sled in a circle. <laughs> they would just be making right turns in a circle because it's not bouncing. He's not he's not a smart man, he's you not, know, but he doesn't plan it out well. How about no, that? He's a little no, fly by the good... seat of his pants. So whomever gets buckled up where or even if you jump up on the sled, whatever, anything goes. Yeah. We're all to get, we're all in it together. Right. We all rise or fall together, and no no man, no misfit, no dog gets left behind. They all get on the ice floe before he axes it. Uh, he is the ideal of acceptance that we all should be uh, striving for. <laughs> so let's talk about some of our misfits, right? We have our little misfit toys. Well, do you have a favorite of all these? I, I mean, the spotted elephant. It, just because I like the idea of an elephant with spots, I, it made my it made my heart like I would take that toy. It actually reminded me a lot of the elephant from Bad Santa. Oh yeah, the elephant from Bad Santa after it gets all of the Bad Santa's blood on it because then it has spots on it. But I couldn't figure out what was the issue with Dolly. What was Dolly's issue? Did you ever figure out what her misfitness is? There's a lot of issues with this from people who watch it. That doll is one of the number one things that people say. I don't understand why that doll was in a misfit box at all oh you know wait one of the theories is that she was a doll that had been loved and then like outgrown and so somehow it was discarded a la remember a la jesse from toy a la story. jesse from toy story mm-hmm. yes I that was a right. theory that someone had which is a fantastic message to send to kids. When you're no longer loved, you become a misfit. Right, right. The, your identity is wrapped up in how others see you. And whether they love you or not. <laughs> and yes, right. The, the, your self-worth is measured in how much you are loved by others. I love that message for kids. Uh, so we got the train with the square wheels. We have the, well, we have Moonrake, King Moonracer, right? Who is a lion with wings. Hey, by the way, that's not a misfit. That's freaking awesome. I think it is, especially if your name already happens to be Moonracer and you get wings. Come on. 
hey, give me a crown, wings, and a mighty lion mane, and you know who's going to be a happy guy? This guy is. I think that sounds freaking awesome. I, I don't get how he's a misfit. I gotta tell you, Charlie in the Box, he's a little bit of a misfit. Yeah, because there's something up with Charlie in the Box. I mean, they, I got bad vibes off of him, really. Yeah, honestly. he was done dirty by Santa's elves. They did I not make him correctly. Was. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. To be fair, he was probably one of Hermes' creations. So, oh, <laughs> you know. that's probably true. Are you ready to get to yeah. Rudolph himself? I think we have to. I think, I think that's all we're left to do. Billy Richard's voices rudolph which i do like his sweet little voice i mean he does have a very sweet little voice an adorable voice uh, because as if his nose was stuffed and so he had to kind of speak through his mouth and breathe through his mouth all at the same time which is very consistent with the way they depict his nose i thought it was a very adorable very endearing kind of voice now what do we think about rudolph is he 100 percent in the right all the time is he 100 percent good is there any flaws that we see with this character you know, he goes from being pretty confident with himself, right? I mean, he's with Fireball and Fireball and his hysterical blonde tuft of hair. I love that. You know, but look at the size of it. Like, like I said before, he's like bigger than Fireball. He's the best flyer in the class. He Everything is going good for Rudolph. And he charms Clarice, who totally loves him and loves his nose. And accepts him for who he is, even though yeah. he becomes very self-conscious about it. But why wouldn't he be so? I'm surprised he's not more damaged mm. because of the way he's treated. The Santa's reaction and Donner's reaction and his mother's silence. I mean, as a parent, I always kind of worry about my kid's self-esteem and the things I say and the criticisms I put upon him and and kids i've taught i've i've coached so many teams i've taught so many sports over the years it's something i'm always aware of is you know you have to be able to give criticism without destroying the kid and without tearing the kid down this movie does not care about that they are all about tearing him down and making him feel bad about exactly who he is which is something he can't fix so yeah no i think and actually doesn't need to fix. He's actually a benefit to the whole group because of being different. And I think that's huge. Like, not only does he not need to be fixed, but he's also the key to saving the day. But do you think that they present that, though? Does that pay off in the end as something that's going to bolster his self-esteem? Or is it really just presented as you are just useful to us now, so we accept you? I think it's definitely the latter. Like, there's nothing about it that really feels like, oh, he was the hero. Now he's going to be like the king of all. It really feels feels very much like it was like, okay, you are useful this year. If it's not foggy next year, you know, you can go back to your cave. That's exactly how it feels. What It would have killed them to have Donner take him and like put a hoof around him and say, son, I'm sorry. You know, I love you how you are. Whether you guide the sleigh or not, I accept you and I love you and I appreciate you for exactly who you are. That would be the 2021 version. That should be every version. This is his father. <laughs> my God. <laughs> well, I agree with you, but I just don't think that they're going to be that explicit. You know, I mean, yeah, the fact no. that Donner didn't beat him at the end means that Donner accepts him. <laughs> so weird. So it was just a different time. It was just a different it just time. It was. Yeah, it really was. And guess what? Again, we talked about this in Santa Claus Coming to Town. The people who were controlling the remote control, a.k.a. the child who had to go switch the channels because there was no good remote control, was the dad. <laughs> so then they're not going to make the dad to look at, like a fool. They're right. not going to have Donner apologize to anybody because no. that's not the way that the dads watching this in their living room want to see it play out. So, you know, all the men are great and, you know, the kids and the women are basically a hassle. The, the dads in 1964 are all depression-born or pre-depression-born kids. They grew up. They lived through World War II. They defeated the Nazis. And you know what? You they're know, not apologizing you, for making fun of your nose. They're not apologizing. Yeah. Your <laughs> nose is weird, kid. That's, That's what it. the dads are like. You know, you, you should put some dirt on your nose. Go put a plug on that. You're embarrassing the family. That That's a totally real thing that still exists today. But, man, I can't get down with it. It really bothers me. It, it was It was a problem for me as a kid. With my own issues growing up with my family, I see it all the time, especially being a coach of sports. I mean, the way Donner and who's the who's the coach of the it's Comet. 
is it coming? Mm-hmm. And the way he's like, rrr, 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 like if, I'm yeah. shocked. He's I'm shocked. He's not adjusting a jock strap the oh, way gosh. he acts. You know, like kind of things. <laughs> How many soccer dads and baseball dads and taekwondo dads and moms I had to deal with my time screaming over his shoulder, be like, suck it up, walk it up, blah, blah, blah. like, dude, it's a game. All we're trying to do is get through this so we can go get ice cream. What are you doing? It's a real trigger button for me. <laughs> I can tell. Well, so I think the the most interesting thing about the plot is the introduction of the Misfit Toys because they introduced this concept, but I don't really think they had any idea of what they were doing with it. Yes. You know, the original, not the version that we've ever seen, but the original airing of this, Caroline, yeah. didn't even have them going back to the island. The Misfit Toys have no resolution in the original story of this. That's how little they cared about. Well, and weren't they just kind of left, like, at that fire? Like, when they're all just, like, waiting, and they're like, he's going to come back, or whatever. And they just and then they just leave that storyline right there. Like, they don't come back for them. Santa never comes back, and they just are left there. No, Rudolph is like, I promise I'll be back. We'll come back. We'll save you. We'll find you a place. And that was it. They were never revisited again. They received so many complaints about it from families and from kids being like, what happened to the misfits that they actually had to go film all of the uh, extra scenes about Santa taking and stopping the sled at the island and all of the misfit toys, you know, climbing on board and then getting delivered to homes and Santa finding homes for them. That was all added after this thing had already aired. That was not in the original run of this of this show. I really love it that the audience was like, that's a gigantic plot hole. You cannot bring on all these people, promise to save them and then leave them on this island. Like, what happened? You know, with uh, King Moonracer, I was getting strong, strong Cowardly Lion vibes. And I know we talked about this in Santa Claus is Coming to Town. But if you didn't listen to that one, Romeo Muller and his whole tie with Wizard of Oz, I think you can see this a bunch of times again in this movie. Because, I, I mean, that entire scene when they're like walking and there's the columns and his echoing voice and all that. How is that not Wizard of Oz? For sure. I, there, so the very first special that uh, Romeo Muller does, and actually the director of this special, Larry, Larry Romer, is Return to Oz. That was an animated special that airs in February of 1964. That's the very first thing that these two guys do for Rankin Bass. And so then they then they do Rudolph, but yeah. So the the Oz thing and we we went through Romeo Muller's like his IMDb a little bit. He ends up doing uh several things related to Oz and several spin-off stories related to Oz over the course of his career, mostly for Rankin and Bass. Yeah, but this is like the second thing in 1964 that they're doing and the first one was an Oz thing. So I think you're dead on with that comparison. Uh yeah, but I, just the idea that they, that's the story that they tell and they just leave it hanging there shows you the the lack of judgment and really having no idea again it's precarious when you take a two-minute song and you try and make an hour-long special out of it right you really have to think about what you're doing there and what kind of story you're telling and what kind of message you're telling here let's get back to the idea that this is also whether or not we're going to get into whether it's a great christmas movie it's definitely a christmas movie and i think that one of the things that is fascinating is when writers or directors come in and they're dealing with the canon that is Christmas. They are going to tell kids what it is, what it looks like in the North Pole, what the reindeer are doing, how they interact with each other, how Santa Claus behaves. And like, in a way, I feel like that gets really forgotten. And they just kind of like let people do what they're going to do. And they let the story kind of play out. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're like filling in the story for children in a way that's like, you're making it a part of their childhood memories of what these characters are and who they are and i think that there was like almost no care taken in that regard if your parents plopped you down in front of the tv and you're like yeah you got to watch this this is going to tell you all you need to know about santa and rudolph you know we sing all the songs now you can watch a story about it and here's the thing you and i we've talked about it how many times have we seen this as kids as adults in between with our own kids at some point and there's so little of this that has actually stayed with us we kind of like whitewashed it in our head a bit. I think it's because it doesn't make sense to the story that we know of Christmas. And that's the thing. Like it gets rejected in our brains as like, that's not how Santa acts. Like pop, it just flies out. That's a reindeer are not gruff and mean animals. Pop, that like goes out of my head. And I think that's why we don't remember any of the details of this. 
Right. So you remember the part that like, yeah, Rudolph had it a little tough, right? He was he was he was made fun of a little bit by like the other kid deer his age. Yeah, that's in the song. We all grew up with that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they wouldn't let him play reindeer games like Monopoly. But there's nothing in the song about his dad being nasty to him and, and rejecting him. There's nothing about Santa being a grump. In the song, he comes off as being the one who can save the day, but that's not the entirety of his self-worth. You don't get that from the song. This movie makes it very clear. He is only useful to these guys. They only accept him at all and tolerate his abnormalities at all because he's useful on this one particular Christmas. It's a very different idea of the story i I agree with because it just doesn't make sense and like that's what our brains do like if it doesn't fit the categories you're like this isn't a thing right when we were joking when we were doing and then the apocalypse and i was telling you uh about we were getting ready to do this one next i remember even saying to you i was like yeah the thing i remember is like the noise that like his red nose makes when it glows like the kind of like humming noise yes that like yeah yeah right because they like right because they use like a like a real light bulb and so they had like all those kind of funny funny sound and stuff in my head that was like yeah because he's like being a useful engine like he's being himself and they're like all about it but that's really not it at all in this movie yes is it a christmas movie yeah because this is a christmas story that can only take place at christmas time right and it's all the characters of Christmas, right? Of our Christmas citizens, if you will. It's telling canon, core, modern Christmas lore. So it's a Christmas movie, but where are the Christmas themes? Where Where's the family? Where's the hope? Where's the love and the friendship and the goodwill towards men? Show me, Caroline. Tell me where any of that is. There's no, like, how about just, uh, like, having that kind of, like, little miracle moment where you kind of feel like, you know, something magical happened. Nothing magical happened in this. You know, he's always had this nose all these years. And, you know, and then he comes in on the scene and they're like, oh, we can use you. You be in the front because you have this nose. But there's nothing that there's not like that Christmas, you know, that intangible can't put your finger on it. Something special about Christmas. Like, that's not here. This is there's not like, something special that's happening. There's there's not even any kind of great oh we're so happy you're back rudolph not until they need him there's no there's no teary reunion son we missed you so much no and no. Clarissa and mom have been gone for a long time yeah yeah I, yeah. yeah no one cares about yeah where Don't are they like yeah. <laughs> no no one cares where is any of the christmas messages yeah uh, I, I mean at least santa claus has come into town has some joy to it has some hope and some and some goodwill towards men in it despite some of the disturbing messages and images in that movie it has christmas themes to it right and it had a good intent like at the beginning you know okay we've got these toys and we've got these elves what do we do with it but this is like what was ever the intent really i don't know I don't know. I don't know. I really I mean, don't know what was I, the whole point of it, except for that there was a, a bad night and that things were foggy and we wouldn't have had Christmas if it wasn't for Rudolph. But the surrounding information about it is that, you know, he was bullied. It was terrible. And no one really cared about each other within Santa's village. The elves didn't care about each other. Santa didn't care about the elves. The reindeer were rough with each other. Like everybody was kind of grousy. What was your favorite, Mr. Toy? You asked me, but I was a bad host and I didn't ask you back. Which one was your favorite? Well, I do love the Spotted Elephant because he's like a sweetheart, but also because they bring him back. You know, like he was actually in some more recent, more modern advertising that he's kind of stayed on my radar more than anyone else. I know that he was a part of some commercials and stuff that was more recent, like really recent, like in the 2000s. And I remember in my childhood, I remember him coming back as like a little character. I don't know. He just seemed like the sweetest one. And he's the most innocent one to me. Sounds silly. They're all innocent, but... Uh, I agree. There is there is a gentleness and a kindness and a sweetness to him. Even though I can't remember him saying very much. There's just no. An I don't aura. think he even has a voice. Uh, no, it's probably one of the misfitnesses about him. Oh. But there's an aura about him that's very sweet and innocent, and really just just again another victim of his circumstances. I, I, this is again a movie that we all show our kids, but 
are there scenes here that really aren't appropriate for kids? Oh, gosh. I think lots. I think the whole idea of when Hermie takes out all of Bumble's teeth. I that was, was shocking to really me. really horrified. I really it was, was shocking. I mean, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, I think that's extremely dangerous to show kids, which I know some yeah. people are listening to us, Mike, right now. And they're like, where are you guys from? You guys are clearly, you know, some sort of, you know, oh, worrying about hippie, your safe like, Right. Yeah. And we're total not hippie, hippie dick pants. We're really not. But the idea that a little kid could, like, grab pliers or something and try to do this to a sibling or something is like too real in my head like for the same reason why like you know cutting off ponytails or whatever like yeah that's why you keep stuff away from kids because stuff like this that moment was like so bad it was so bad I mean, my objection is more like is more thematic. This is a Christmas movie. None of it makes there, sense. There are a hundred ways you can resolve a dentist and an abominable snowman bumble in a way that is thematically pleasing and not horrific in a Christmas movie. Why couldn't it have been? He's a he's a grouchy bumble because his tooth hurts. But why did it even have to be about dentistry? I mean, honestly, it could have just been like every other character. What do you do? You turn their heart. You be kind to them. They were never treated with kindness. And so you be kind to them. And that's like the whole, you know, how we always change people's hearts. We don't even having to do something like that for them where you're like fixing something with them. One of the main things that we've seen across the board, like, let's go back to Prancer. When we go back to Jessica helping Cloris Leachman and, you know, she just goes and helps clean up the house. She just apologizes. It's kindness that turns people's hearts. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you, you were dead on. I think they picked dentistry because they wanted to wink at the audience, to the kids in the audience, and be like, "Let alone to this guy who wants to be a dentist, lame." Where he has a chance to be an elf that makes toys, and he wants to be a dentist, you know, weirdo, different. We don't like that. That's what they're doing. That's what they're signaling here. That's why they picked dentist. If it had been the 1970s and the Brady Bunch had its run, it would have been an architect. Look at this guy. He wants to be an architect. Like there would have been something like that. What they, what these old men making this movie deemed like oh kids don't like the dentist let's make them a dentist but there's so many ways you could have done this way with through kindness through helping through joyful remedies for a christmas movie listen we talked about anna and the apocalypse which is a gory zombie musical thriller full of violence and gore and i thought it was a thousand times more a christmas movie than this movie so it's not that i'm a hippy dippy you know kumbaya kind of guy but this is a christmas movie animated special for kids you have to have kid-friendly thematic on-point thing i think you have to have a story you know like the storyline was just it's paper thin and i mean obviously we know based on the song it was paper thin but i mean there's just nothing to this in a way that's like i don't care about any of the characters and the one character whose name i remembered immediately was clarice because she Mm -hmm. is the only one who is kind throughout she accepts rudolph right away she thinks his nose is so cute and she is she sticks with him throughout i I mean i think if you were to ask us our favorites i think we we both would probably come up with yukon clarice and and at least for me anyway and rudolph because i think he's again i think he's just kind of victim of his of (laughs) his treatment but yeah i mean clarice and yukon just accepting and loving and exactly what you want in a kid's tv special about christmas Let's talk about how this one was made, because I think it's pretty fascinating. And this is definitely something I didn't know anything about because we had done the Santa Clauses coming to town. And so I was only slightly familiar with this whole concept that these this was animation that was filmed in Japan and that we were doing anything like this with the, this combination of puppets and Japanese artists. Like, I, I am floored. I think you could probably ask a hundred people. And if you could find two or three people who knew this, this was actually made in Japan, I think that would be surprising. Yeah. I I mean, in fact, almost all of the Reiken Bass specials were animated in Japan and almost all of the voice work in their specials was done in Canada. All of that is fascinating. And I don't think anyone would get that right. So the reason for Toronto for being in uh, for being in Canada for voice work was that uh, there had been such a collapse in the voice actor 
work up there that there was a huge talent pool to pull from there was so there was an abundance of workers they didn't have to get paid as much as american workers and they did the job efficiently and and perfectly fine and japan with you know this this form of uh stop motion animation that they call animagic two or three studios that rankin bass used over the years but they were all japanese uh studios and yeah they would go over there i think it was jules bass was the one he would go over there and like would be in japan and like overseeing like the project and stuff while it was getting animated and stuff yeah really really fascinating but the use stop motion animation is so time consuming it's such an art form that no one appreciates the idea of setting up your set because you actually film on sets i mean they're smaller than the tv sets you're probably thinking of or movie sets you're thinking of but you film on sets you take your picture you have to then micro move all of the characters and 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 re-articulate them and then shoot a picture and then re-articulate them and that's so time consuming it's it's such a specific kind of art form that is especially with the advent of computers and cgi is really a lost art you need things like elf Uh, when john favreau did elf one of the things he insisted upon was that they would use actual claymation animation uh, techniques for the opening scenes because the studio was like just use computers it's cheaper we can do that we have the technology he's like no uh nightmare before christmas was a stop motion animation feature uh, it was one of the last really big ones. I mean, you have James and the Giant Peach also. Uh, yeah, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas was a stop motion animation filming. Again, puppets articulating. I think when we did that, like Jack Skellington had like something like 400 different faces, mm-hmm. you know, because of all of the different, you know, uh, facial expressions that would have to be used. I think and, and if people understood that they were even puppets, I, I think that that's even like another layer that I don't think people understood. I think most people think there were little figurines that were then moved, you know, just like you would think that that's how, you know, claymation was done. It makes so much more sense to me once I realized they were puppets. Because I know from, you know, a lot of people in America think puppets, okay, that's like Sesame Street. And, you know, Jim Henson started puppetry. Well, you know, we all know that's not true. My kids adore puppets. And having gone to the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta, they had this huge, huge, beautiful display of all the traditional Japanese puppet theaters. They've, they go back to like the 17th century. They're beautiful and just so well crafted. I mean, Mike, I can, it's so amazing. They would have these things where like you were only the left hand of the puppet for like decades. That's all like you had to rise through the ranks to like become like more of the puppeteer. It's really, really amazing. So the fact that that Japanese studios were involved in this like really makes sense when you understand that this is a combination of different techniques they were using. Just to give a little more even specificity about that. So the Santa puppet used in the special is actually eight inches tall. The young Rudolph puppet was four inches tall and his nose really did light. It was like a little Christmas bulb, uh, like a little like five volt like bulb on the end of his nose that really did light. The puppets were made from wood, wire and fabric and were fragile. Fragile, so fragile that the company, the Japanese animation studio, actually had to make several copies of each puppet because they just didn't last long from being used and being manhandled and, and all the different posing and stuff. Well, and they actually handled them with gloves because it was like they were that delicate. Yeah, this is a great Antiques Roadshow story. So copies of both the Santa and the Rudolph puppets uh, found years later in a storage in an attic of a woman that had worked for Rankin and Bass. The puppets were in bad condition. Santa was missing his eyebrows and half of his mustache had kind of like shaved off. His legs were broken. Rudolph's nose was missing. It had been replaced with red wax. But the, they were found. They were discovered. Someone took them on Antiques Roadshow. Uh, someone bought them from there. And then about $4,000 was used to rehabilitate them. A company called Screen Novelties was hired to like restore them and, and put them back into their original like mint condition. And now they travel around. They're, I think they're owned by like museum as like museum pieces now. And they travel around in like exhibits. But yeah, it's such a like a road because no one thought like these are treasures that should be protected. Rankin and Bass gave these things out to their employees when they were done with them. No one thought, man, we should maybe preserve this for history. (laughs) Oldest Christmas show on TV that's actually aired. I mean, think about that. And like it was just sitting in like a secretary's house 
really funny. It's crazy. You want to get to some fast facts before yeah. we do Jingle Bells? Let's I, do it. I don't think there's much more to rant about in this one. <laughs> in 1979, the We Are Santa's Elves number was cut entirely from the special for reasons unknown, but then they restored it back in 1980s. This was another one of those shows, not unlike we dealt with Santa Claus is Coming to Town, where they like edit this differently depending on what's going on and what station it was on and like what the ad constraints were super fascinating that they cut it up for totally different year to year the different versions that may exist depending on whether you watch this on cbs or abc family or which freeform now or if you watch it on a home box release or a vhs or a blu-ray it's a different version every single time it's insane the songs that come in the songs that come out the yukon cornelius storyline so yukon is constantly licking his axe and and they have He's that whole to song for metal. But that's what you think because he sings a song about a silver, gold, silver, gold. <laughs> right. The original concept, and you only get even a hint of this at the end of the movie. The original concept was that Yukon was actually looking for a vein of peppermint. He was looking for a peppermint mine, which is why he's licking his axe. He's trying to take when every time he hits his axe on the ground, he's he's tasting it to see if he tastes peppermint, which he eventually finds at the end, which is in every version. He's like, I found it. We're gonna be rich. Uh, so it's been restored, but only starting with a 1998 home VHS release of the story. Does that any of that make sense? It's insane. <laughs> it's, it's like Yukon's main storyline, and they couldn't even get it right. Very funny. I, I don't even know what to think about it. Rudolph was originally to be delivered to Donner and his wife by a stork, but the idea was scrapped when General Electric brought in Burl Ives as a narrator, and it was never filmed. So now it just appears that Rudolph was born naturally, and his real last name is Donner. So his name is Rudolph Donner. Which I never realized that Prancer and Donner and Comfort. I didn't realize those were names. surnames. Yeah. I didn't realize. How funny I didn't realize they were well, that except for then so when we saw it say Mrs. Donner, then I was like, oh, she's like of Donner. <laughs> yeah. Of Donner, we've been doing, we're doing we've been a doing lot of handmade tales, guys. Which is not, which is not a Christmas podcast at no, all. No, despite, uh, despite the amount of red in that show, it right? is not a Christmas a podcast. We actually already touched on this fact a little bit when we did Elf, but this will connect or 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 can complete the loop on that. If you watch the beginning uh, of this special, and every show has this, if you look at the very bottom, usually where on the title screen, it has all these Roman numeral letters, and they, that's the copyright year copyright years are always described in roman numerals mcm lx 14 right that's roman mm -hmm. numerals for 1964 they screwed up when they made this movie and the roman numerals that they put on the title screen uh and so what got registered as the copyright year was 1164 which puts it out of protection for copyright everything that's not based on the song or poem so, in other words, anything that was original to this film that they just made up, like the Misfits. Like Bumble and Clarice and all them. A lot of this grumpy Santa stuff, like all that, that's all public domain. That's how Elf was able to get away. Uh, uh, Sam I, uh, Sam the Snowman, but the Burl Ives character. The reason they're able to rip that off is Leon the Snowman. All of that stuff in Elf, the reason they were able to do that, and they tried to sue them for it, but it was in the public domain because of the copyright snafu. Wow. Uh, anyone can go and make their own version of those parts of the Rudolph story. Wow, that's crazy, right? Yeah, if you want, I mean, if you really like the cute little rabbits and the was is a beaver, a raccoon, like the cute little animals that are kind of hanging out in like uh, the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you want to go make copies of them, you can go shoot your own movie based on those guys. Again, and speaking of how they've changed this movie over and over again, although Yukon Cornelius says he needs gunpowder and has a revolver tucked in his belt, which is hilarious, the accessories of the character that have been released since 1999 have knives in. Instead. I don't know how helpful a knife would be in the North Pole, but it does seem more friendly than a gun. I mean, maybe when you have to cut like an ice flow, if your axe isn't handy, then maybe having a knife to, yeah. you know, stab at the, you just the shoot ice. the ice flow instead? <laughs> I guess. But, you know, if you shoot a gun in, in snowy areas, you run the risk of causing an avalanche. <gasps> I had no idea. It's I wouldn't put it past this movie, this TV special. <laughs> to bury the children. To, to kill Bumble in a massive ice avalanche uh, story. But, of course, we're forgetting that the detoothed Bumble is then uh, put up, but leashed and uh, brought to Santa's castle as a trophy to be sneered at. I'm sure they kept him in a cage. 
Oh, gosh. That's terrible. So there is, I referred to him earlier as Stretch. There is an oddly tall elf in this, uh, in this, in this special. You see him in the choir. He's very tall. He never had a name until 2001 when Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys came out that it was real that the, the very tall elf, his name was Hank. Oh, that's funny. But would be more appropriate if it was Buddy. It would have been more appropriate if his name was Stretch. <laughs> Rudolph's color pattern on his chest changes during the last third of the movie. The color change could be interpreted as him growing up. Aw. One obvious sign is, includes his large antler rack. Get a load of his rack. He's, he's a mighty, mighty deer. He's mature. He's so mature. <laughs> The, uh, the last one I have is just because this is a fun fact that I actually didn't pick up on, and I forgot to go back and see if it's true, but I've read it in a couple different places, but the internet being what it is, I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, so Johnny Marks wrote several songs that were actually popular Christmas songs. One of them is Rocket Around the Christmas Tree. You can actually hear an underscore, like an instrumental of Rocket Around the Christmas Tree when Donner's teaching Rudolph about being a reindeer. It's before you see the Abominable Snowman the first time. It's like right around when Rudolph meets Fireball. So Rocket Around the Christmas Tree is like playing on the score in the background. I thought that's pretty funny. That's very funny. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day is another song, also by Johnny Marks, that you can hear uh, when Sam the Snowman introduces himself. So Johnny Marks getting a lot of his music uh, played in this movie. So good for Johnny Marks. The, one of the songs that was a surprise to me that was in here was Holly Jolly Christmas because I was like, oh, wow. I didn't know that this was like the first time that song had come out. So that one, look at that. It had a whole life to itself. Yeah. Johnny Marks. I mean, the he guy. The some guy, good Christmas music, man. Yeah, I hope he has a very large house that his descendants get to live in because he brought us a lot of Christmas music joy. He really did. All right, Mike, are you ready to be thinking about your jingle bells and you're going to play me a clip for next week? I am. Excuse me, Lumpy. Around these parts, most people call me Mr. Cross. I'm sorry. I'm new here and I got a problem. I bet. What? Well, my problem is Miss little fella. I can't get the antlers glued onto this little guy. We've tried crazy glue, but it don't work. Have you tried staples? Staples? Don't you dare. If you staple that little mouse, I'll call the Humane Society. I'm not kidding. I wouldn't do anything in the world to hurt this little fella. Kate, Marley, Perkins, the road. I have three dogs and oh, a cat at a home. beautiful story. Tell Reader's Digest, will you? Staples. Same old Claire. Still trying to save the world. <laughs> well, okay, Mike, I know for certainty that that's Bill Murray. But after that, I am not sure. So I have to go Bill Murray, Christmas Story. Um, I'm going to go with Scrooge. That's my only Bill Murray Christmas Story I can think of. You got it in one. It is 1988 a satirical dark retelling of the Charles Dickens classic Christmas Carol called Scrooged. Well, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a complete 180 from this guy. It's going to be a complete 180 from this one. And in fact, it should be enjoyable. So there you go. <laughs> That's a true 180. <laughs> All right. Time for our Jingle Bell ratings. Tell him for our Jingle Bell rating. I feel like I went first when we had Drew and Danny on. Well, we made them go first. But then I think we I did. went first after them. Okay. Yes, I'll go you first. Went, you went I, first for Prancer. I am going to give this one a six. Which is rough for me because I really expected this to be a Christmas classic. I was really excited. I was ready to see our little, ooh, little nose. And this story really was bizarre. And so many of the characters didn't act like anything of what I think is a Christmas like, lore in my head. I don't know anything about this Santa Claus. I don't like any of these reindeer. And I thought that the way that they sort of had the climax of the movie with the bumble and how they resolved the whole thing was just utterly unacceptable. I don't want to recommend this to anyone with little kids. I think it's fine for my own kids who could see it as like a kind of a, well, it's on TV every year kind of thing. But, but if you're just introducing Christmas to little guys, I wouldn't start this as much as it's been on TV for all these years. I think I'd be like, you know what? There's other things we can watch. So I'm going to stick with a six. Here are other sixes that Caroline has picked over oh, the course of the 52 got weeks. Got the spreadsheet out, huh? She has given sixes to Polar Express, Bad Santa, Batman Returns, 
So see, the same reason why I gave to Polar Express, where I said, you know what? You can learn about this story by reading the book, and it has beautiful pictures, and that's a better way to deal with it. You can learn the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by simply singing the song and skip the movie. I'm giving this one a five. And honestly, I really considered it giving it like a two or a three. Whoa. I really did not like this. I don't think this is a movie I would ever willingly show someone now as an example of a Christmas movie that was, I mean, it's a Christmas movie. Yes. I don't think it's a good Christmas movie. I don't think it's even like an okay Christmas movie. I think this is hot trash garbage with a horrible <laughs> message that is, that has no redemption. It has no redemption. It is cruel. It is, it, it, it emphasizes the worst aspects of people with no redemption at all, there is no positive message. The people here are made to feel odd and like outcasts. They are never told that they are okay for who they are. There is some violence that, like I said, are like war crimes if it was committed in real life. It is hot trash garbage. You know what? I am giving it. I'm going to give it a four, which is <gasps> what I gave. Happiest I like you're like, season. no, that's it. I'm doing it. You can't stop me. I'm not. I'm doing it. I'm doing it, Caroline. <laughs> I gave Happiest Season a four because I really didn't think that was a Christmas movie. Not that I didn't like it. I didn't think it was a Christmas movie. This is a Christmas movie that is just disgusting, hot garbage, and I did not like it. I'm sorry that I watched it. Well, I know that I'm going to end up redoing our scores as I get back to the end of this, and I have to start redoing like where everything really sits together. But I think you still have the family familiarity and like we grew up with it so there's something about it that still is like lingering for me but when you really get down to it it's like yeah but it lingers like a bad joke that your racist grandpa told and you're like oh i've heard that joke before and it's familiar but you know what it's in really bad taste it is. I mean, we listen, don't laugh at it anymore. We don't. And you know what? Yukon is a wonderful character. He Clarice is. is a sweet character who doesn't have a lot to do. I mean, you can't even really rest on Clarice. She doesn't have a lot to do. And Yukon is there the entire time, and he is a really good character who represents... If, if this movie was filled with more Yukons, I'd be all about it. If they had done something sweet to, to pacify Bumble, I would have been more inclined. If Santa wasn't a using jerk, I would be okay with it. If Donner was an abusive father, I would be happier with this movie. But unfortunately, all of those things are true. That is who these people are. They are just a bad crop of people with bad messages and bad intent. (laughs) Well, this is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic. If you could rate, review, and subscribe, that would be even better better because it helps all of the podcast catchers find us and promote us and tell us that you like us (laughs) if you could leave us a five-star rating that would be great or else we're gonna have to take your teeth out with pliers (laughs) bumble style we're gonna go hermy on (laughs) you thanks for listening thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.